5: Welcome to 1865, one of the top 40 football podcasts in the UK Now if you're new here then welcome And if you're an established listener, thank you for joining us once again for this Forest Ramble As we celebrate the Reds' promotion to the Premier League Coming up in today's show, we have reflections on Sunday's big day out and the subsequent celebrations We look ahead to Forest's forthcoming Premier League campaign That sounds good, doesn't it? We've got interviews with City Grand Stadium announcer Mark Dennison and football journalist and Forest fan Nick Miller discussing why the media are so happy that Forest got promoted. Plus, we have a Forest quiz, Jeremy Davis's end of season sketch, and the views of the fans. All coming up in this edition of 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast with me, Rich Ferraro. Right, let's say a big hello to Tom Newton. Morning. Greetings to Stephen Topless. Hello. And welcome to Premier League Baz. <laughs> <There you are. laughs> right. Um, before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to 1865 dad who who very generously passed up his chance to go to Wembley so that his two sons could go together. So, so dad, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, Baz, you also have a uh, is a memorable day for more than one reason for you so have you got anything you'd like to say
3: to mrs baz <laughs> well yes so it was actually my uh wedding anniversary 19th wedding anniversary um i did say to her um we should go together because it'll be like a fantastic celebration and she actually said uh no just go on your own um although she did milk it for the entire week going going beforehand uh saying um I can't believe he's leaving me. And then my friend said, I can't believe I'm getting a beating on this day when Baz has abandoned you to go to Wembley. <laughs> yeah. And, and speak,
5: speaking of wives, I, I wanted to mention um, Mrs Ferraro, who really, really wanted to go. But um, obviously she's quite galled when she was watching on the telly and saw that there were empty seats in the Huddersfield end. Now, we haven't got time to have a discussion about that today. And there's probably a whole other discussion we could have. But um, yeah, uh, so what we want to do today is to celebrate and to reflect, but we don't want to rub it in for those people who weren't there. Now, Stephen, it would have been very easy for you to not be there because you hadn't planned this and you had quite the weekend, didn't you?
7: I did. I was in Glasgow on a stag do on the weekend from the Friday through to the Sunday. um, When all the stag arrangements were made, there was absolutely no chance that Forrest were getting into the playoffs, let alone the final. So absolutely no concerns there. But then getting through to the final meant that I had to find a way of getting to Glasgow from London in about five, six hours, which is nigh on impossible by road or by train. So I ended up flying at nine in the morning from Glasgow Airport to get down to Wembley in time. So I was picked up from Luton Airport, on the minibus, and on to Wembley. The best thing about it, actually, the flight from Glasgow, there were Forest fans on there, in their Forest shirts, getting ready to go down to Wembley, which I thought was great. But it was an incredible day. Thank you to the Stag and the lads as well for giving me their blessing to to go to Wembley. They basically said to me, you've got to be there, you can't miss it. So thank you to them for, for that. Um, I'd Do it a million times over, it was incredible.
3: Should be, um, like a, a British road movie or have it John Candy on board. It's like, um, it's all set up for a perfect film. <laughs>
5: it really is. So, I do have to ask you as well, um, which was the better day, the stag or Wembley? Wembley, <coughs> Wembley. <laughs> okay, you no secret's safe, safe with us. No one else is listening to this. It's okay. Um, all right, so having. A- Having said <laughs> that it was quite the day, let's get started because we do need to talk about this. Um, We did a match report on the day, which Baz and I recorded before, during and after the game. But there is obviously an elephant in the room. And Tom, could or should Huddersfield have had at least one penalty?
2: Yes, because the first one is one of them that went to VAR. The second one, Maxley, you can tell that is got match rustiness having just come back from his injury and he probably was unaware uh, with the Huddersfield player uh, behind him when the ball got played in he got the wrong side of him and um, it's clumsy at best but that didn't even go to a VAR but over the season we've had 11 or so stonewall penalties turned down and they do say over a season and they do even themselves out so I think we're fortunate
5: but who cares. (laughs) <laughs> well Baz you had you had some thoughts
3: on this yeah, yeah. so as Tom said uh that over the season they're supposed to even themselves out all through this season we've been saying it's supposed to even itself out and it hasn't done it hasn't done it has well it has now and the other thing is um we had um the Bournemouth away game the man the, the referee actually came to the manager and apologized for effectively costing us automatic promotion so we wouldn't have even been at Wembley if we could have got that penalty and capitalised on it. So so I think, yeah, it has evened itself out this time. No no consolation to Huddersfield fans, of course. Uh, S- Stephen,
5: I mean, Bowsers just mentioned the, the Bournemouth match. Now, in a way, both Bournemouth and Huddersfield, there is a parallel, which is that although the ref's the man in charge, neither of those were necessarily the ref's fault because the ref has to make a call based upon what he sees and also the help he gets. So at Bournemouth, the linesman let him down. And for Huddersfield fans, it was the video assistant referee who who arguably made the wrong call.
7: Yeah, it's it's it still comes down to that human decision on the day, doesn't it, really? Even if you're watching a video clip back. Um, yeah, feel for Huddersfield fans, because if that was the other way round, we'd have been absolutely livid, especially after what's gone against us this season. So... I understand their frustrations. I think the first one, you can see why that wasn't a penalty. The second one, yeah, should have been given as a penalty, in all honesty. Um, but like I say, we've, we've had so many of those not go for us this season. If it means that the one in the final does and it's evened itself out, then
5: so be it. And what I will just mention before we come to you, Baz, is that um, obviously some of the Brennan Johnson decisions you get the feeling they weren't given because Brennan was seen to go down easily. And from our, because we were quite low down near the corner flag. I wasn't at all surprised when John Moss gave it against Toffolo and gave the yellow card because what we saw was, yeah, there was a, there was a challenge in the box, but we saw Toffolo jump a million miles into the air. And so in that respect, in real time, you can see why John Moss gave it. And of course, VAR will often confirm what the referee was thinking in real time in a lot of cases now there have been inconsistencies that's a whole other story and we're gonna to have to get used to that next season Baz.
3: um well one of my friends a neutral said and I'll just point out I've not watched it back because I refuse to uh spoil <laughs> them, let daylight in on the magic um but one of my friends who's a neutral said both of them If you watch the replays of them and they're given against you, you wouldn't complain. But if you watch the replays of them and it was a different referee, you wouldn't be surprised that they're not given. So it's a 50-50, isn't it? It's just two 50-50s in quick succession. Mm. Um, And Tom,
5: I mean, Jack Colback admitted that there was contact, but he'd felt that Harry Tofflow had instigated it. And what was quite telling was that even in real time, both Colback. I mean, with the, the low challenge in, uh, on the day, I didn't really see what happened. I just saw that O'Brien went down. There wasn't a huge appeal, but both Coleback and Lowe looked a little bit sheepish, didn't they? So maybe that tells the story.
2: Yeah, it's the magnitude of the game, isn't it? It's like when things like that happen, You, I was half expecting John Most to point to the penalty spot on the first one. And I was very surprised. But he's obviously closer to it than the second one. I just thought it was a bit of a coming together than I've seen on the replay where it was, like I mentioned, it, uh, clumsy. But, but yeah, like I says, we've been fortunate with it. But I, I was half expecting, if not one or whatever, that John must be pointed to the spot. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and, the, and they did look sheepish because they know there was contact.
3: As. Uh, Just a quick point about John Moss. I live like a quarter of a mile from his shop and apparently it's been done over. I've not seen it yet, but um, it's been done over apparently by probably assuming Huddersfield fans. But uh, that's not very nice for him uh, after his last ever game. But um, then again, I was like, I'm going to have to go around there um, if if something goes wrong. So there you go.
7: It's um, On the same, Paz. It looks like you've got a new record collection behind you all the sudden.
9: <laughs> oh, <no>,
5: the <that's laughs> man, um, just can't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, funnily enough, actually, apparently, what, what, has also, what I've also heard is that uh, there have been a lot of Huddersfield fans who've been going onto Google reviews and giving him one star reviews, and then a lot of Forest fans giving him five star reviews. So <laughs> uh,
3: I do have to say, the only Huddersfield fan I've had a long in depth chat with it was my trainer at the gym, and he was very, very gracious and just said, We didn't even expect to be there. So next season, we'll go again.
5: Yeah, and this is what I was going to come on to, which was there was a magnanimous reaction from most of the Huddersfield fans who I've who I've come into contact with. And Uh, We got in touch with our friend Brady Frost at the Huddersfield Fans podcast, and he takes that chance. And understandably, Brady didn't fancy coming on to chat to us, but he did send me a message. And he just said, to be honest, I didn't think either was a definite penalty when I was in the ground. It was when I came out after the game, I'd realised what had happened. But even then, we didn't really create much. And I think Carlos got his selection wrong, to be honest. Um, But Stephen, even then, we would have been aggrieved in Huddersfield Fans' shoes, wouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. With a chance like that, penalties not
7: being given, we've we've been on the receiving end of that so many times this season and it's it's been galling enough. So if that would have happened in the playoff final, yeah, that would have been um it would have left you wondering what might have been a little bit. Um, even though on the balance of play we did edge it and we deserve to win, yeah, you You do look at those moments and think, oh, okay, we've we've just come down on the right side of a decision there. And yeah, I'm not
5: complaining. Just very, very briefly, Tom, as our conspiracy theory correspondent, um, Carlos Corboran was very also magnanimous on the day. And he just said, look, we didn't we didn't do enough in the final third. So he did ask questions about VAR, but he didn't dwell on it. Um, although there was a report said suggesting that Huddersfield are going to write to find out about why VAR was implemented or not implemented in the way it was. And, of course, there's a, few, there's a handful of people who are kind of moaning and grumbling and saying that they were robbed. Have you got anything to say about that?
2: Uh, all I've got to say is that if you're going to play in a final, try and have a shot on target, and they didn't. Oh, no- oh. Ouch. Samba, Samba's not had a save to make, so, um, so uh, first and foremost, it's their fault on the day that they didn't create enough to, they didn't even pepper the goal, did they? Even when Samba was injured, they didn't have a shot on target, so so basically it's it's their own fault really, that
5: they've not done enough in the final two to beat us. OK, and if, if any Huddersfield fans are listening, then Tom's address is 123 Let's Be Avenue. OK, um, let's talk about preparing for the Premier League. Now, Stephen, what did you make of Evangelos Maranakis' comments on Monday at the Council House?
7: Uh, interesting comments and very encouraging. Um, it doesn't sound like he wants to settle for 17th place in survival. He wants to try and... Establish forest now in the Premier League and I suppose it is it's an opportunity to to try and establish and and properly draw a line under the last 23 years of mediocrity in, in the championship in League One it's the real chance now to take the club forward and I always felt this but that while we were in the championship we were always a bit hamstrung we couldn't obviously because of FFP we couldn't invest loads of money in the squad but you've always got that ceiling if you get into the Premier League there's a chance that you can break through establish follow the path of Wolves Leicester etc maybe have a bit of European football if you if you can push on uh push on high or so I'm yeah excited to see what comes next and it's encouraging that he'll be willing to to invest in, and give Steve Cooper the backing he needs
5: to to try and keep Forrest in the Premier League. Uh, Tom, on that subject, I mean, Marinac has basically said, you know, there's going to be 100 plus million coming in just for being in the, you know, TV money and all of that kind of stuff. He's saying that's not going to be enough. We're going to need to spend more. So I'm guessing that that's a division between having to spend maybe 50 to 70 million on the playing squad, but then also maybe the same again on the infrastructure around the club, press facilities, um, other kinds of hospitality opportunities. There's the new stand, which is still being being put on hold by the three councils who are involved. So it's going to have to be spending big, but spending big in a way that doesn't create problems if the worst happens and we come back down again.
2: Yeah, and I think he's, because he's obviously got experience at Olympiakos, so he knows how to keep a team... Near the top, and he knows that. The thing is that we haven't been in the Premier League for 23 years, and you've got clubs like Norwich and Fulham who have been in the Premier League, come down, so they've had that money to, obviously, um, with the infrastructure and, and all of that. But I, th- I think with it, it's I think it's not a matter of squandering it; it's like spending it wisely. And I think Maranakis has been um, had like one hand tied behind his back because of FFP. And that all goes out the window now. So he's got his wealth from his um, business uh, interest to actually put the money into Forest infrastructure, facilities, playing staff. And I think I think we we have got a good chance of actually establishing Forest as a Premier League team um, in the twenty first century. And we've never had that opportunity because the Premier League since what ninety nine when was last in it's chalk and cheese, it's walls apart, it's on a global scale now where back then your local millionaire could run a football club, millionaires aren't enough in the Premier League anymore, it's got to be a billionaire and with Maranakis's, um and his staff's backing, I think we will, he's got a great opportunity of establishing price in the Premier League.
5: Yeah, I mean, last time Forrest in the Premier League, we were that, Uh, we were run by Irving Scholar and Nigel Ray and um, you know it's it's a different it's a completely different scale now and on that thing of scale uh, one of the things that Colin Frey mentioned during the week was uh, you know on a match day you might have half a dozen to a dozen people in the press room at Forest on a match day in the championship and apparently you can expect like 60 to 70 in a Premier League match because of all the all the people coming the national press international press if it's a If you're playing Tottenham, for example, there'll be loads of Korean press wanting to report on Song Hyun Min, all of those kinds of things. So it's completely different scale. Baz, you wanted to jump in.
3: Yeah, so as I said um, earlier, so I live, what, a quarter of a mile from John Moss's shop, so in Leeds, and so I've witnessed... Leeds' ascent under Bielsa and the outpouring of grief this season as Bielsa left. And I think there's so many similarities between us and Leeds a couple of years ago. So we've got this manager who's got a very strong idea about how the team should play. We've got this connection between the city and the manager, and the city and the team, That this manager who's brought us back, this level of belief that has been lacking for years, years. But m- more importantly, we play with a very, very small squad where every single player basically plays the same role every single game. And what happened with Leeds is when they went up, that had them flying because no one was used to it and no one knew how to deal with it. And in their second season, it, they got found out and Bielsa wasn't prepared to change. And I can see something very, very similar happening to us. And the question is, will Cooper be able to deal with that second season I, I mean, obviously I'm presuming we stay up there but I can see us doing really really well in our first season up
5: yeah and uh, i mean on that topic i think uh, you, we've seen we've seen it with leeds we've seen it with brentford first season actually in some ways is is less difficult tom you wanted to to jump in yeah, if you look at bielsa he's quite it's had quite
2: a long career so He's probably like stubborn in terms of this is how I'm going to play and I'm not going to change. But if you look at Steve Cooper and where he's been, Swansea, um, within the England setup, he's been Liverpool um, youth team, sorry, youth academy manager. I think he is adaptable and I think he's a very bright, adaptable coach. And I think he will stick to with his how he should be played. But I think he will develop himself of that because there's been times this season where we've had to dig in and we have got results, and we have played expansive football against the likes of um, Swansea, Home and Away, and other teams where we've absolutely blown teams away. So, I think, and he's quite a young coach as well, so I think he's going to be very adaptable of how he's going to get this Forest team to play in the Premier League, and I think he's sometimes, you have to, like, well, we've got to, like, dig in here, and I think
5: we have got the best manager um, for the Premier League uh, for Mm. a club like Forest. And and just before we move on, Baz, um, one thing that I do want to point out, so obviously the transfer rumour mill is already going into overdrive, and now is not the time to comment on that. Uh, Pre-season, we'll talk about the transfer activity that may or may not have happened. But uh, obviously, in January, it was a case of signing a, a relatively inexperienced, although not young, striker in Keenan Davis, and then signing a very, very experienced, although not that old, defender in Steve Cook. And you pointed out one of the videos that we took from near the corner flag of the players celebrating that there's a moment in the corner of the screen where you could see Brennan was sitting down because he was just overcome with emotion. And then Cookie just turns around from celebrating with the fans and he runs to him, puts his arms around him. I think that mix of youth and experience is a cornerstone of what Cooper's done, isn't it? And that could well be, you know, the, 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 the fairy dust for Forrest in the Premier League, couldn't it?
3: Yeah, and I think it's it's all about, it's always about that. It's about getting that balance right, um, and that's why. Um, again, going back to Leeds, like when they got rid of Pontus Janssen, you could argue that's that was a mistake on their part because they needed someone like him just to hold them together a bit this season. Um, and that's where where it was. Where is it he went to? Brentford. Brentford yeah and they said they wanted to sign him for that experience exactly that so hopefully the likes if you can find the likes of Cook and whatever especially for cheap then that that's going to see us through. Okay all right thank you very much you are listening to 1865 the Nottingham
5: Forest podcast still to come on this Forest Ramble we will be chatting to some special guests and Quizmaster Tom will be grilling us on forest promotion Season.
9: You're listening to 1865,
2: the Nottingham Podcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com, Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The
9: 1865 Sketch by Jeremy Davis. As an armchair fan, well, more of an easy chair fan, really, as I watch most of my highlights on YouTube. Easy chairs, of course, being very much the Andy Robertson of office furniture. What they may lack in style, they more than make up for with mobility. Having said that, I'm writing this from a sunbed, having flown out to Ibiza for the week with EasyJet. Very much the Andy Robertson of airlines. No frills, a bit of a bargain, and currently really unpopular in Manchester. But anyway, as an EasyJet fan, it can sometimes be hard to avoid feeling slightly left out when the manager is praising the fans for being the 12th man. But as this unique season approached its final act, I decided I was going to get involved even if it were only to attempt to tune in and send good vibes. Being a Southern-based correspondent without a Sky subscription, this has actually taken quite a bit of effort and investment, so I feel like I've done my bit. Firstly, for that incredible second leg against Sheffield United, which clashed with training for my son's under-11s team, which I coach. As it turned out, the kids ended up having a match that went to penalties, and my son's team won, so in hindsight, it was a good omen not being a particularly superstitious type, I always find it's easier to spot omens in retrospect, much like people who claim that the UK's vaccine rollout was a benefit of Brexit, and about as credible. Tuesday also happens to be an evening when I have to cook dinner for the family, so one way or another, I knew that even with a Sky Sports subscription, like a Luton Town season ticket holder, I was unlikely to see much actual football. So I resolved to follow the match on the radio, lulled by romantic memories of the excitement of following radio commentaries in the golden age of Alan Green, when every time the ball got within 40 yards of either goal, Greenie's voice would rise an octave or two, and every hopeful punt out of defence prompted levels of excitement worthy of Maradona's second goal against England in eighty-six, or if Stuart Hall was commentating, worthy of him being let into the family enclosure at half-time. And I'd forgotten that listening to your own team on the radio is horrible. It was further complicated by the fact that I can't get BBC Radio Nottingham in my region, and Five Live were covering some piddling little game from the top of the Premier League involving Liverpool. So I had to listen on Talksport, which may not be behind a paywall, but was shielded by what might be called an ad wall. Now, I've got no objection in principle to commercial radio stations carrying advertising. We've all got to make a living after all. But it's not what you want when you're trying to tune in to live coverage of your football club's most important match for 19 years. When I first logged on to the TalkSport website, it was 1-0 to Forest. By the time I'd sat through ads for more cars than I will ever buy, Sheffield United were ahead on the night. Extra time was so stressful that by the time it got to penalties, I'd literally shut myself in a darkened room. The big day at Wembley promised a different sort of challenge, given the aforementioned trip to the Island of Dance, which was coincidentally the name of the nightclub where my wife and I first kissed, more than 25 years ago, when Frank Clark was still managing Forest, John Major was still Prime Minister, and the only conspiracy theory Matt Letitier was kept awake at night by was why he didn't get picked for England. It's not actually the first time that football has impinged upon our nuptial celebrations or uh, should that be the other way round, the day after our wedding was the 2nd of June, 2002, coinciding with England's first match of the 2002 World Cup. Being in the Far East, of course, kickoff times were early in the morning in the UK, and England's clash with Sweden began as we were getting ready for a latest breakfast. For those that may not recall, England took an early lead through Sol Campbell, a footballer who, if sport and politics really did mix, would surely have been a right-winger. Mind you, if any further proof was needed that football and politics don't go together is that politicians have spent years trying to locate the all-powerful silent majority when all along they were watching Man United at home. Anyway, as it happened, the instant the header from the most conservative footballer since Peter Shilton hit the back of the net, my beautiful bride emerged from the bathroom in a brand new outfit and asked me how she looked. My enthusiastic response pleased her greatly and set a standard to which I have sadly been unable to live up ever since. Knowing Ibiza's popularity with the English, I thought there were decent odds that the match would be shown at the hotel, and I was optimistic on arrival on the Saturday, as there seemed to be a lot of people in Liverpool shirts heading to one of the bars. Sadly, it turns out that the championship is not regarded in Spain as similarly essential viewing to the Champions League, and they had no plans to screen the playoff final. Nevertheless, my fellow potters had asked me to write a piece comparing this Wembley occasion to our previous visit 30 years ago for the League Cup final against Man United, when the winning goal was created by a promising young Welsh international forward. And I thought it might be another good omen, so I wasn't giving up. I went to see the manager to plead my case, but her look of polite incomprehension did not bode well. She explained that although she had been told from on high To ensure that coverage of Liverpool's Date with Destiny was available to guests, they would only do so, to use her term, for important matches. Showing admirable restraint in the face of such provocation, I returned to my room to see if I could access coverage online. Surely I could justify investing in a now TV Sky Sports day pass for an occasion such as this. I duly went through the whole plodding process of logging in, signing up, resetting various passwords because I'd either forgotten them or entered them wrong because the iPhone's keys are so damn small, and even entering my credit card details before a message flashed up to tell me that since Brexit, I could no longer access Sky's coverage outside the UK. I briefly cursed the name of Jacob Rees-Mogg, a man so pro-Brexit he probably thought Leicester were doing their patriotic duty, getting knocked out of Europe early, and then got down to the serious business researching how to get around this. After all, I didn't vote for Brexit, so is it really fair that I should have to bear the consequences? Even as excited messages and photos started coming in from my fellow podders from their seats at Wembley, I was studying various websites to find out how I could access the coverage and how much it would cost me. I won't go into the details of exactly how I managed it, but suffice it to say, if I would put as much effort into computer studies at school, I could have been the next Bill Gates. Eventually, I managed it, and tuned in just in time to see the national anthem and the slightly surreal spectacle of the CEO of Skybet being introduced to the players. Given that when I'd last been at Wembley watching Forrest in the 91 FA Cup final, the guest of honour was Princess Diana, it struck me that guests of honour aren't quite as honourable as they used to be. I'm not a betting man, but I did wonder if anyone had asked him what odds we'd have got on Forrest going up when Steve Cooper joined the club. I'm guessing it would have been a pretty long shot. But that didn't put off Jimmy Garner. Just as well, though, that Yatesy was prepared to gamble. So thank you very much to Jeremy
5: for your contributions all the way throughout the season. Uh, we'll see you in the Premier League. Now it's time for something very special. We're going to go to a stalwart of BBC Radio Nottingham. But most importantly, the man who is the city ground stadium announcer, Mr Mark Dennison. Deno, how are you doing?
0: I'm um, very well, thank you. And and hearing you say those words is still like, I don't know, it's still dawning on me, to be honest. But uh, yeah, wow. That's all well, I can say. That,
5: that brings me to exactly where I was going to start,
0: which was, how was Wembley for you? Um. It it was, it was immense. I mean, um, yeah, I, I mean, basically the story with, with that is that, um, years ago and I hate to, well, we can talk about now because there's no jinxes there. Um, years ago with Yeovil, uh, and the playoffs then we know what happened, but basically I was put on standby then to, to go to Wembley and to, you know, um, I remember Mark Arthur at the time saying, look, um, we get to Wembley. The deal is that they get the announcer on from each team, and you do a little bit. And I was thinking, wow, that sounds really exciting. Then we know what happened, and that was a long time ago. Um, and then when we knew we were in the playoffs after the Sheffield United uh, semi-final, um, all of a sudden I started thinking about, oh yeah, there's that thing at Wembley again, and I hadn't it hadn't crossed my mind before before that, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, the whole day was just incredible and a blur and definitely, definitely a real, not just career, but life highlight.
5: Oh, that's that's wonderful to hear. And be honest with me, were you nervous before that day?
0: Oh, I was bricking it.
5: Absol- I was
0: absolutely, yeah.
5: Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Was it your choice to wear a suit and tie or was it someone else's?
0: My choice, yeah.
5: yeah. Well, oh yeah, you look, you look. The part. if you if you if you can't dress up for one of the biggest days of your of your career, then when yeah. can you? I guess.
0: Well, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Okay,
5: going back to the city ground. Um, your job as stadium announcer, so you you have been doing it for a long time, um, but just thinking about over the last few years, uh, it must feel very different doing it now to compared to the years BC before Cooper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> BC, all of that. Um, yeah, it does. And it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. So, yeah, my job is to, yeah, do the teams and to kind of build, build, help build the atmosphere, along with everything else going on musically and on the screens. But let's be honest: during the dark days, you know, there's only so much building up you can do before the crowd start thinking. Yeah, we all know you're not. We're not really building up to very much, are we? Um, so you've got to play quite a... There's a delicate kind of balance to be struck there. Whereas since um, October last year, and certainly since the turn of the calendar year, it's just been so different, and everyone could see what massive progress there was. I, I think... I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but it was just... It felt like something was brewing. And, of course, just very quickly... You were also uh,
5: broadcasting for Radio Nottingham from the council house, and you've shared with us that you were you did a lot of it lying on your belly (laughs) next to a speaker, um, which is a really dignified. One day Wembley, the next day lying on your belly (laughs) underneath and behind a balcony.
0: (laughs) It's yeah, I I mean again, yeah. Yesterday was was all a blur, so we knew that um, uh, the the team and the the um, backroom staff and management, I, to be honest, I didn't know that everyone was going to be there from, from Forest, but to, to see and hear the owner was, was quite amazing because I thought his speech was really, really interesting. It was just amazing. And you could see what it meant to players and um, all the coaching staff and the people from behind the scenes. And I think that's, that's the thing for me. There are an awful lot of people that, you know, um, often go under the radar and it's it's their day as well. I just want to
5: finish off by
0: uh, talking about talking about not you, actually, but one of your colleagues.
5: So you obviously got to have your big day out at Wembley, but but the ever-modest Colin Frey, he <laughs> finally got to commentate on his beloved Reds at the National Stadium, and he's going to do so in the Premier League next year. Now, obviously, he's, he's, we know him as our commentator, you know him as a colleague as well. Um, have you got any words for the legend that is
0: Colin Frey? Yes, I do. Colin is just such a lovely guy. Um, as you said, he is modest. He, you know, as a commentator. He, he, he's actually, he manages to keep things. And I know, obviously, when Forrest score, yeah, that's, that's off, off the scale. But he has a calmness about him. He has um, that professional kind of steel. Um, I saw him on Sunday. At Wembley beforehand, we shared a bit of a moment then we we definitely shared a moment yesterday at the council house actually um and uh, I know how much this means to him as well and and he was was up there obviously uh yesterday doing all of the introductions to the players and the staff and um he's just having the the time of his life and it could not happen to a nicer guy and I genuinely mean that he's um you know local radio quite often doesn't get the um, the recognition it deserves. But um, Col- Colin is getting it uh, now. He's sharing in this limelight, and, and rightly so. Mm.
5: And with all due respect to um, to Lawsey and Steve Sutton as well, I genuinely don't think there can be a better commentary team on local radio than Colin with Steve Hodge. It's just an absolute joy to listen to, and, and always has been, but this season in particular, it's what a delight. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us for this. Um, now, let's hear from some fans in a minute. We're going to hear from a couple of die-hard Reds, but first of all, let's hear from a Championship expert.
4: Hi, guys. Elliot Jackson here from the Championship Chat podcast. Wow, what a season Nottingham Forest have had! From a, a neutrals' perspective and, and a podcast that loves to cover the division as a whole, they've been a breath for fresh air and certainly in the, the top two teams of the division since Steve Cooper came into the job. What what a job he has done at the city ground after taking charge with Forrest having one point from seven games. The way that he's managed to in, install a new belief, revitalise players and and really turn around the fortunes of, of the entire club really has been brilliant to cover and watch as, as neutrals of the division. You only have to look at some of the players he's, he's helped to develop, some of the signings he's made, likes of Ryan Yates, uh, Brennan Johnson, who've come on leaps and bounds this season, Jed Spence. I think under Chris Hewton, one of the, the criticisms we levelled at him was when he left the club that how many of the players that he had inherited or brought into the club, how many of those had he actually improved? And when you go through the Forest 1-11 to 11 that played at Wembley and, and previous to that as well, I think you can almost make a case that Steve Cooper's improved every single one of those. And that is probably one of the most impressive attributes that you can uh give and review of a manager. Keenan Davies has been fantastic. He's someone we've loved to watch. Obviously, the story behind Brennan Johnson. Uh, Joe Worrell's been fantastic. And I thought his interview post-Wembley was absolutely fantastic as well. Local lad coming through the ranks. James Garner's added a bit of quality in the central midfield. Brilliant set-piece deliveries, calm and composure on the ball. And Ryan Yates, you know, not always a fan's favourite. Nottingham Forest, I think it's fair to say, but the way he's... Worked it's probably harder than most to to improve and, and earn his stripes at championship level. And he'll be a Premier League player next season. And I think few would argue that he doesn't deserve that based on, on this season. So it's been brilliant watching Nottingham Forest. They'll need additions in the summer, uh, left wing back replacements for the lone players like Garner and Davis if they can't get them back. But there's no reason under Steve Cooper why this team can't go from strength to strength. Um, I think that with the right recruitment, and given the the recent record since Murphy came into the club and, and Steve Cooper as well, I think there's no reason to doubt that they would waste money as they have done in previous years. I think that Forrest can, can really take the Premier League by storm and have a really good fist of staying up, and I would back them to do that. And under Steve Cooper, they've got a manager that has passed every challenge that he's been given, so no reason to believe he won't be able to do that. It's a shame we won't get to cover you next season on the podcast But nonetheless, it's been a brilliant season covering Nottingham Forest.
5: Thank you very much, Elliot. And in the nicest possible way, it'll be lovely not having to talk to you again next season. Now, we're going to have a chat with a Forest fan and football journalist, Mr Nick Miller. Hello, Nick. Thanks for joining us again.
6: Hello, no problem. Yeah,
5: it's been a a while since we've spoken to you and we'll come back to that a little Mm. bit later on. But um, you were at Wembley on Sunday. Um, Look. We're of similar vintage. You're a little bit younger than me, but was this the greatest day of your life as a Forest fan?
6: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, without without any question, it's just the, the the time building up to it, the the kind of I don't you, you don't want to be too kind of. Well, I was at Doncaster in you know 2007, so I deserve this. But you know, I think we'd all done the hard yards for this. We just you know we had done. We've done our time, and uh, we've built up enough uh, sort of years of disappointment and um, and frustration to make this, you know, one of the. Well, yeah, as, as you say, the, the 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 sweetest moment of of my for a supporting life, Christ, yeah. I mean, at the final whistle, so my seat was uh, in the row immediately behind my mum and dad, um, who, as I said, I've been going with for for thirty all years now almost and uh at the final whistle i just uh first thing i did was kind of try and clamber down over the seats to to get so i could stand with them mm. gave them a big hug and just burst into tears that that kind of moment of the final whistle where you know, or and as you say the half an hour 45 minutes afterwards was you know
5: yeah it was and, incredible and- and also, it's really, really important that the, the, the fans have been acknowledged by the manager and the players, and, and particularly the Nottingham-based players who've been through the ringer, you know, the, the Worrells and the Yateses who've, who've taken pelters and they've been there. And as I said in his uh, Sky interview, we were shit. so So that it, it was. And, and Forrest, I, I still believe, OK, a lot went wrong under Sabri, but I still believe that the fans not being there was part of that it not going, you know, not going well. So, just to move on from there, um, put your journalist hat on for just one second, please, Nick. Um, there've been accusations from elsewhere, including Huddersfield fans, that there's been a bit of a media bias towards Forrest. I think Bournemouth fans might have said the same um, in the latter part of the season that that kind of people referring to the romanticism of the past under under Clark in the 90s and Clough in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, so. Have your fellow journalists been particularly nice to you in the last few months? And do you think people are genuinely pleased to see Forrest get promoted?
6: Yeah, I mean, particularly as uh, as um, a lot of the the more um, uh, I said like the inf- more influential journalists and editors are of our age, so they remember Forrest. You know, if they don't remember the real glory days, then they remember, as you say, Clark and. Polymore and Bohinan and all, all on that team going into Europe. And Forest are very much viewed as a top flight club in all but name for a certain generation, which, and they are the generation that kind of, um, you know, makes all the decisions in the media. Uh, so there is, I suppose there is that. I, I think the, the simple answer to whether there is a there has been a bias towards Forest, there has, I think, I mean, without wishing to feel the paranoia of these people, There has been, I think. It's a team that um, has not been in the top flight for 23 years. I got up against a team who have been in the Premier League in the last four or five years. So, and, you know, it's much more interesting than Bournemouth or, you know, Fulham getting automatically promoted. It would be more interesting than Sheffield United getting promoted. And so journalists tend to be biased towards good stories rather than, you know in particular particular teams.
5: Yeah, and just lastly uh, for today, and, and thank you once again for joining us, Nick. Um, now, we do, I did say we'd come back to this. Uh, I think the last time we spoke to you was the morning after Ashton Gates. Was that the turning point of the season?
6: It's always kind of difficult to, well, it's it's always very easy, I should say, to like retrospectively apply the, you know, undue significance to games like that. But it, it did... That there was something there that um, you just felt, yeah. There's something different here. There's something different about it. It was almost it was not almost not quite so much how that Forest scored two goals in injury time, but it was more the way that they kind of approached that. They didn't panic in that game. They didn't like you know didn't stick Scott McKenna up front and just started launching it, which you know you know even the best teams do that. Um, they just kept playing. There was tactical changes. There were three substitutions. All the substitu- all three substitutes were involved in the the, the um, second goal. But they they kept playing as as they had been.
5: Mm, yeah, and and of course, I guess there was a certain romanticism about that. Like the fact it's happening in pouring rain, wearing yeah. the high vis kit with Taylor wearing yes. pink hair and pink boots, and, and the celebrations and everything. So so I can understand that. Thank you very much, Nick Miller. Now let's hear from a couple more Reds fans with their thoughts on this season.
1: I'm not sure I have the words to adequately describe this season. From the pit of despair after seven games to end the season where and how we did is bonkers. My heart really does go out to Chris Newton, yet another manager that on paper was exactly what we needed, but he just couldn't deliver. I do hope he goes on to find success elsewhere. I really do but he just wasn't right for us. I treated Steve Cooper's announcement and arrival the same way I treat every new manager's announcement and arrival at Forest. I wish them well, I keep my fingers crossed and then I wait to see what they're going to deliver. And the point at which I realised something different was happening was the away game at Bristol. Lyle Taylor, with his trademark cocky little strut up to take a penalty, buried it in the back of the net. And instead of celebrating, ran, got the ball, ran straight back to the centre circle. We went again and scored again. And I don't think I've ever seen Forrest do that before. They've always stopped and celebrated, to our detriment at places like Derby at Reading, and that was the point at which I went, ooh, this is new. After that, it's just been a blur of neon orange and lime yellow. I'm not a fan of the third kit, I'm sorry, I'm not. I like how we perform in it, but it's certainly not one that I have bought and it will never get framed and go up on my wall, but I think what Cooper has done is a miracle, and I am very cautious about using that word about anybody to do with Forrest, and I look forward to seeing what he and Dale and Mr. Marinakis come up with over the summer for us. It's going to be interesting, it's certainly not going to be an easy ride in the Premier League, but, but we did it. We're there. Sadly, I wasn't actually at Wembley um, on the day. I was, I was having to work, so I was at home, sat looking at my laptop. And when that whistle went and we'd done it, I picked up the phone to my sister and I just said to her, we've done it. And then we both cried about how much our dad would have loved to have been around to see this day. Don't get me wrong, he'd have had an awful lot to say about it. This is a man who thought Stuart Pearce was a thug and had absolutely nothing friendly to say about Roy Keane either. But yes, dad would have loved to have seen this.
8: Hi, it's Adam, the cycling defender here, and I am... Less than a week removed and I'm still absolutely buzzing. Going through work, just floating through it, knowing that we're a Premier League club has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I think the biggest thing to look at is definitely the transition that we've gone through. Um, it, we, we went from a team that couldn't attack to being one of the highest scoring in the division, still being able to defend. Um, obviously, with Chris Hewitt and stuff, but, you know, we're, sat there, one. as soon as you go 1-0 down, the game's over, because we're not going to score more than your opponent. We're trying to hold back, win games 1-0, and, and then you've got Cooper. I mean, I remember back to the of the game, and uh, we go 1-0 down, and the way that we were playing, the way that we were attacking, we thought, we'll get back into this, and we could have had 6-7 on the night. The amount of games that we've played, and you sit there and think, we could have had 7 or 8, but we've still not compromised ourselves defensively it's brilliant, the football is the best football I've ever seen at Forest and it's excellent to be a part of it um, and obviously the highlight of that brilliant season has been capped off by a playoff final win you know, getting the playoff hoodoo gone and, and hearing the final whistle blow and looking around and just seeing people drop to the floor in tears and it, it means so much to every single person there, it means so much to every person in the city of Nottingham and yeah, you know, I personally can say that the way that I reacted to the final whistle was tears as well. But talking, you know, 23 years of people wanting to get back into the Premier League, 23 years of people hoping every single season that the next manager is going to come in and do it, and Steve Cooper does that. You know, if I had any worse for Steve Cooper, it would it would be you know, thank you for you, not just thank you for getting us promoted, not just thank you for you know getting us playing good football, thank you for uniting the city of Nottingham. You're walking down the street, you see someone with a shirt on, you're saying you reds to each other. You know you, you go, you're walking into work in the morning, and people are happier. Um, the city is just buzzing at the moment, and being a Premier League club would mean the world to this this city and the people that live in it. So I think it would just be a massive thank you for everything he's done, the way he's embraced the city, the way the way he's embraced the football club, the way that even as someone not from Nottingham, he feels like he is now. He feels like he's one of us. No matter what happens next season um you know steve cooper will forever be my um, favorite forest manager
5: thank you to all of our guests there and you will be able to hear extended versions of those interviews with mark dennison and nick miller on our podcast feed in the next few days but for now, let's move on. Now, regular listeners, you may have heard our quiz guess that red throughout the season. Today, we're doing something slightly different with a quiz to celebrate forest success this season. So, over to you, Quizmaster Tom. So, there's eight questions.
2: Well, there's nine questions actually. But if we need a tiebreaker, so basically, it's questions and a quiz all about this season. So, I'll start. So, the first question is. Who's, who scored the goals in Steve Cooper's first win against Barnsley?
5: Rich. Brennan Johnson, Lewis Graben and Philip Zinkenagel. Yes, correct answer. Come to me.
2: Hey. Right. right, question two. Which out player, outfield player after Brennan Johnson has made the most appearance in, in all competitions this season? Rich?
7: John, Spence? No. Stephen? Yep. Scott McKenna? Yes, with 51. Oh my
2: word. Good work. Right. Third question. Who scored the two goals in first home win against Derby in January? Stephen. Gone.
7: Brennan Johnson? Yep. And Gross. Lewis Graben. Yes.
2: Right. right. Question number four. Steve Cooper's win ratio is the highest since I think it's the 1890s. But what is his
5: win percentage? Rich. Well? Sixty percent.
1: Yes. Oh my
5: God. I didn't know that. I read it somewhere. <laughs> I didn't work it out. In fact. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Keep a running tally. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: question number five How many league goals have Forrest scored this season? Is it 73, 68, or 70?
5: Rich, 70. I'll go, Baz.
3: What are you saying? I was going to say 70 as well.
5: No. What crap. Well, that worked out well for both of us. <laughs> Stephen, seventy-three. Yes. Oh, five, yes! 73 okay, I just want to point out as we're as we've just gone past the halfway point that Topo's in the lead with three to my two, and Baz yet to get off the mark. So you're going to have to get them all right. It's like Eurovision all over again, isn't it? <laughs> you'll
2: have to you'll have to do more than what Huddersfield did on Sunday and get one on target. <laughs> oh. Let it go, Tom. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so. Uh, Question number six. The Red Brick Wall of Scott McKenna has has how many caps for Scotland? I'll I'll go with the nearest guess.
5: Rich. come on. 23. Hang on.
3: Oh!
2: I was going to say that at all, (laughs) well. So so it's real between uh, Rich and Steve and Baz's yeah. Still down I'm
3: under Chris Hewton <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: no, Let right. it go yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to cross the halfway line yeah. <laughs> So, uh, right, Question number seven Jack Colback scored a world against West Brom but who has he made the most appearance for Forest, Sunderland or Newcastle That's Oh,
5: What's Baz Or well, now. No I was going to go for Newcastle no Stephen can you get this <laughs> <laughs> it would be Sunderland would it yeah just I think
2: there's only about two games in it he's uh, played 114 times for Sunderland alright Last, if Rich gets this then it goes on to the tiebreaker but, so question number 8 in what minute did Lewis Graben score against Arsenal in the third round of the FA Cup this Rich. season Come 83
7: yes you are the numbers man
5: today. everyone <laughs> is spot on I'm an excellent Tom, driver Tom what you should
3: have done is sort of this out as a penalty shootout <laughs> I
5: was going to say if he's going to, <laughs> to sudden death you know what I'm, 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 I'm pointing at my badge and I'm confident and I'm yeah. doing jelly legs in front of Steve yeah,
7: yeah. <laughs> got my water bottle down here <laughs> <laughs> all his answers are on me every fact about Forrest this season
2: Oh, the, the tiebreaker is, what is the average home
7: attendance at Forest this season? Stephen,
5: 28,200. Rich, you have a go. 20, tie- 28,300. What did you say, Stephen?
7: 28,200.
2: You've got it uh
5: 27,094 was the correct answer so steve wins well done so yeah big well done to and topless for being the champion in a season of victories and thank you very much to quiz master tom for putting that together now the quiz fun isn't over there because we might just have a quiz along those lines coming up soon but focusing upon the time between forest not being in the Premier League and going back to the Premier League. So keep an eye on your feeds for this. Now, just to move on, we asked a cheeky question in a Twitter poll, which was, well, we just put it out there. Steve Cooper is the best Forest manager since Billy Davis, Paul Hart, Frank Clark or Sir Brian Clough. Stephen, which of those would you go for? For me, it's
7: since Brian Clough. And that's not to detract from anything that Frank Clark did because his, his three years in charge were brilliant, fantastic team, great achievements. But I think what Steve Cooper's achieved at Forest goes beyond results. He's dragged us out of the doldrums and made us relevant again. And I think the last manager to do that at Forest was Mr Clough.
3: Bows, what do you think? Um, I would say... Mr Clough because it comes back to my thing which is you can't tell really tell about a manager until they're tested and when Frank Clark was tested properly tested he he struggled a little bit Billy Davis was Billy Davis um but Sir Brian did did the job when he was tested and we don't know about Steve Cooper yet but he's I think he's he's doing better than Frank Clark would do under very very strong um pressure (laughs)
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Tom? Even though I agree with Baz and Steve, I'm going to go with Frank Clark because when he took over, the club was everything about it was Brian Clough for the 18 years he was there. And when Frank Clark come in, it was he lost Roy Keane to Man United. Nigel Clough he could not stay at the Forest because of obviously all the baggage with what happened to his dad in his in the latter stages. Frank Clark had to deal with all of that. And that basically, he's, he had to get the, um, the team back in the Premier League. And at the start of the season, we was pretty much awful, and it wasn't until Lars Bahienen come in and everything clicked. But Frank Clark, for what he did from getting us from the old First Division into the Premier League, a third place finish, and into the UEFA Cup in that short amount of time, I think it's a magnificent achievement, and it doesn't get uh, highlighted enough in my
5: eyes. Okay, so. Um... For the record, according to our poll, 7.2% said Steve Cooper is the best forest mundra since Billy Davis, 8.9% said Paul Hart. 37% said Frank Clark and 46.9% said Sir Brian Clough. And, you know, maybe there's a generational factor in there as well, because, you know, if you are 25 or under, then Billy Davis is the nearest thing you've seen to a successful forest manager. So maybe there's an element there. Um, we had some comments as well. So would you kindly said Frank Clark was our most underrated manager. What he did under the shroud of Brian Clough was nothing short of magnificent. So echoing what you said there, Tom. Um Starbridge Tricky said Clark was great, but you already had a great set of players to work with compared to Cooper. Tom says Cooper has achieved greatness, but Clark took us to third in the Premier League in Europe for the first time in about 10 years. We can't ignore that. Uh, Steve says Cooper has installed a positive mindset throughout the team, the club and the tea ladies, if they still have them. He's a breath of fresh air. And uh, last but not least, echoing what you've said, Baz, uh, MechaDroid5000 says... I'm not sure you can compare him to Clark or Cluffy until he's managed in the top flight. So thank you very much for all of your opinions. So that brings us to the end of our last Forest Ramble of the season, but the podcast hasn't finished just yet. I want to say a big thank you to our 1865 crew. Also, a big thank you to today's guests, Mark Dennison, Nick Miller, Elliot Jackson from the Championship Chat podcast, Brady Frost from Anti Takes That Chance, and Forest fans, Kate, and again, our very own Adam. Most of all, we want to say thank you to you for listening, whether you've been with us for years or have joined more recently. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on your podcast app, especially if you use Apple, as this will help other people to find our content when we start reporting on Forest in their Premier League. This has been 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, and we just can't get enough.